How do we not just take some theme and apply it to the text? How do we allow a text to shape what God wants to say? And, and so I find a, a real a, a bit of a challenge, if I'm honest, trying to do that in, in regular um, moments. But I, I hope something of what I, I have to share this morning will be helpful to you where you're at and where we're at as a, as a church. Um, the passage that I'm about to read, um, part of it has, has some, uh, some uh, cha- challenges, shall we say, uh, in terms of where it sits or how it sits and how it fits together. Um, but we'll get to that in a moment just to explain it and to set some context to what we're about to uh, do. Um, but anybody else astounded by Jesus? If you read the gospel accounts, he is just incredible. And I don't think we can f- fail to read the, the, the gospel accounts and, and be wowed by what, how Jesus handles people. He's, he's surprising, actually. The way that he handles people is so surprising. And the, the, t- the title of my message today is Scandalous Grace. This is, this is a shocking moment. Um, but it's a powerful moment. I think there are some things that the Lord would want to say to us today about how we respond to others and how he has responded to us. So let me read. I'm actually going to read a little bit more than is on the screen there. You can see it. We're going to be in John, uh, focusing on John uh, from John 7, 53 to 8, verse 11 this morning. That's going to be the passage of Scripture that we're going to focus on. But I'm going to read a little bit more just to set it into some uh, context. Then the servants came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, uh, why, didn't you bring him, uh, why didn't you bring him in reference to Jesus? The servants answered, no man ever spoke like this. So you've got the religious leaders and you've got some servants. The servants have an, an inkling and understanding and an insight to who Jesus and how he speaks that the, the religious leaders don't quite get. It's really important to understand what's going on in this moment because the religious leaders play, play a significant part in the story and the, and the conversation, the dialogue, the, um, the opposition to Jesus in his ministry. You'd think that the religious leaders would get it, but they don't. Then the Pharisees responded to them, uh, Are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees be, uh, believed in him? But this crowd, which does, uh, doesn't know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to previously and who was one of them, so you can find out about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, said to them, Our Lord doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee, are you? They replied. Investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So in your, in your Bibles, you may have a little note now that says this, um, the, this section wasn't in the original manuscript. Okay, um, we'll get, so I'll explain some of that in a moment, but I'm just going to read it. So it's, but it's important that it, it sits, I think it's important it sits here for a reason. So you've got the opposition of the religious leaders and the law doing what is right. Followed by, in a, in a, in a, if you go further on into John chapter 8, he's talking about judgment and, and truth and righteousness. And so here we have a story, a powerful story that we're going to explore together. Then each went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again and all the people were coming to him. 
he sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Now put yourself in this moment in that, in that woman's shoes. Just think about that for a moment. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the, uh, on the ground with his finger. Don't you just love that response? So here he is, this interaction with the Pharisees. They're trying to trap him. They've got this, brought this, this woman, to in, stood in the middle of a crowd. Can you imagine the shame? Like, just what is she feeling in that moment? I don't know whether you've ever, ever, ever experienced something, not maybe similar to the story, the details of the story, but actually being caught out, being brought out, being shamed publicly. It's horrific. Like, you just want the, the ground to sw- open up and swallow you. But they're accusing, and Jesus stoops down and starts to write in the ground. It's like, I'm not even going to answer you at the moment. I'm just going to doodle on the ground. Well, what he was right, we'll get, maybe get to. I don't think anybody knows for sure. But I just find it an interesting reaction of Jesus to an accusation. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing in the ground. Just love that moment. All right, you're not going to get the point. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to boom. There you go. And then carry on. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he, only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. <laughs> Neither do I condemn you. And Jesus said, Go, and from now on, sin. Uh, do not sin anymore. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm going to pause there. So how did you feel in that moment when you thought about you, you being the one that was brought into the middle of the crowd? Accused, accused of adultery. Now, this, this, the, the Pharisees couldn't have done this if they didn't have proof. So the, there is evidence to suggest that this, this, this woman was actually caught in the act of adultery. And so she's shamed. But why should we listen to this? Why should we even give this any consideration if it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts? Well, I think there's some reasons why we should inc- it should be included, why we should listen, and why I think we have this text now before us, this story in this part of John's Gospel. So just say, it, it was, it, it, this, this story uh, wasn't, 
wasn't taken on board by any of the Eastern Greek fathers of, of the day. Okay, so that was about a thousand year period before they even began to acknowledge it. Okay. It was accepted in the Western part of the church much sooner. Um, Ambrose and Augustine started to write about this and, and acknowledge and rec- recognize the validity of this story. Um, Eusebius, um, I don't ever pronounce that right, so please forgive me. I did, I did try and listen to how it should be pronounced earlier. Um, but the first church historian, he says that he learned of this story. Now, he was in, he, he was in operation between uh, six, uh, 60 AD and 130. And so he learned of this story and just knew this story and the validity of this story. Some of the challenges are that it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of John's style. Just, it doesn't seem to uh, just flow nicely. It seems like a bit of a, a shoehorn in to, uh, to, to the passage. But there is acceptance that this is a legitimate story that was circulating around the time of the gospel, the other gospel writer, the, the other gospels are written, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. So it was part of a pool of stories that, that were told, that, were, that happened, that were recorded, that were accountable, that was evidence for this to be true. Um, and so there is, great, there is confidence that this is, a, this is a legitimate story because it points to the character and the nature of Jesus. It reveals truth. The church has been edified by it and through it. And, uh, and it sits, I think it sits here. Now, some think, and, and some have actually pla- would place this in, in Luke's gospel in, in chapter 21. But we have it in uh, the canon of scripture, the text that before us in John's gospel. Why? Well, if you remember that the Pharisees were coming to Jesus with matters of the law, saying, well, this, don't you servants understand who he is? We, we, we're out for him. And here we have a, an opportunity that the, the Pharisees have engineered. Because the only way that they would have been able to identify or get this, catch this woman in the act is if this had been engineered. Because you, I mean, you, you don't just stumble across that sort of stuff. Unless you're a husband walking in. To, to your home where that is going on or a wife or a partner right so this has been engineered the disciples are out to get Jesus they want to test him what will you do Jesus when it comes to matters of the law because they were right Deuteronomy um, let me just uh, Deuteronomy uh, 13 would say that if um, somebody betrothed to be married or, a, or a, a wife is caught in the act of adultery, they should be put to death. Caught in the act is the important part. I'm, I, I struggle with this moment because where's the man? Where's the man? Like he seemingly gets off scot-free can scuttle off into the dark, away from any accusation, away from any shame. And here we have a group of religious men bringing a woman brought into the open in a crowd being shamed. 
I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about our society, and it's, it doesn't sound too dissimilar, actually. Seems like men in power can get away with an awful lot for a long time until it's exposed, until it can be, until it can hide no longer. And, you know, you think, oh, am I going to say, do I say this? Right, this is, this is, it could sound political, it's not meant to sound political. But we have male prime ministers, whether it's present or past, doing atrocious things. Not just prime ministers, ministers, seemingly getting away with stuff. What happens, what would have happened if Theresa May had been accused or done some of the things that other members of parliament had done? What would have happened? She would have gone like in a moment. And so here we have this imbalance of power, just a dehumanizing of, of this woman. I think it's atrocious. I think it's horrendous. Had she been caught in that, had she done something wrong? Absolutely. It was wrong. Adultery is wrong. But the actions of the Pharisees to bring her into the open was, I think it's on a level par. And so here we have Jesus, who is the only one who could condemn this woman. He is legitimately the only one who could pick up a stone and say, you sinner, boom. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And he demonstrates the first truth that I think uh, is really important for us. He demonstrates grace over judgment. Grace over judgment. How often and quickly are we to go to judgment first because we lose sight of how much we have received. We pass judgment on all kinds of people, whether it's because of their sexual history or their, their identity, and we, we cast our judgments. And Jesus is the first to cast grace on somebody. And remember that out of every single person who's walked planet Earth, only Jesus is, is the, uh, the, the, the righteous judge. Only Jesus has the right to cast judgment on anyone. You and I, the Pharisees, the crowd of the day, all had stuff in their past that they would have died if it had come out into the open. One of the, one of the interpretations that I love about Jesus writing on there. I don't think this, this is true because I don't think Jesus would do this, but some people have said that Jesus was writing out their sins in the sand. So, oh yeah, you, you, you with the long beard over there, yeah. Hmm. I, I don't think it was so because I don't think Jesus would do that. I don't think he would shame people in the same way that the Pharisees were doing it. But the reality of it is Jesus knew exactly what was going on in every single one of their hearts. He could, he could perceive things like you and I, just we, we can't. He knew what this woman had done. And so he, but he offers grace over judgment. John, um, let me read John 3, uh, verse 14 to 21 to you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that anyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved 
the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but, uh, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. Okay, so this is important, right? So our act of belief, our act of faith, our act of trust puts us in a position to be not to be condemned. Because every single one of us could be like the woman who's brought out into the open, all our stuff out, and Jesus, but Jesus looks at us, put our faith in him, look to him, believe in him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does, be- does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because of their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the world and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. The reality is when we put our trust in Jesus, we're exposed to his grace. Everything is laid bare before him. There is no hiding. Outside of Jesus, when we try to run from Jesus, we, we, it's like we're trying to keep everything in, in, in hidden. And I'm, I'm ashamed of this. I'm ashamed of that. I don't want that to be known. Because what if that's known? Then this. We come to Jesus because of, his, because of his amazing grace, because he gave his life for us. He walked this earth so that we might believe in him and have eternal life. And in so doing, we are exposed to the reality of who we are. The Pharisees were in denial. They were in denial about their own heart. They were in denial about their position before God. They, they had this religious veneer that they that thought that, that because they understood the law, because they were seeking to operate in the righteousness of God, uh, they misunderstood that their hearts were far, far from, him, from him. And so it's when our, when our hearts are exposed to his grace, it enables us to receive his grace, not with condemnation, uh, not under condemnation, but with life and hope and light. It's interesting that the, Pharise- uh, the, the religious leaders start to go away bit by bit. Jesus in saying, he is without sin, you cast the first stone. Now, what Jesus wasn't saying is you have to be absolutely morally perfect. Because the other thing why um, this story is so jarring, it's it's a scandalous grace, is because the the church church history from from the from uh, from the early early church, the Eastern Church would would look for penance, and so this goes against penance. Like if you Jesus freely and forgives this woman in this moment. Like you go, get to the end of the story. It says, um, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so the the religious the religious leaders are, are, are so confronted by the the scandal of Jesus' grace in His act of kindness and mercy. Now, grace is getting what we do not deserve. Okay, so we, he, she didn't deserve any of what Jesus did, but He gave it anyway. Brought her into this place of. Of, of forgiveness and restoration and healing and liberty, freedom. We'll get to that in a minute. But this, um, 
So this, this act of grace over, over judgment, it's not that Jesus cannot make judgment and won't make judgment. One day we'll stand before him, but for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who have received his grace, as Alan read earlier, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. Number two, better get a move on, eh? Um, in verse 10, it's kindness over scolding. Verse, uh, in verse 10, what does it say? It says, uh, when Jesus stood up, he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I wonder what happened to, on, the, on the way to bring it, for this lady bringing, uh, being brought to Jesus. I wonder what the Pharisees were saying to her. We don't know. But I think they were, I think they were probably quite accusatory. Can you fill in some of the gaps, maybe the words and thoughts? Was she scolded? Was she like burnt by their words? Jesus doesn't say anything to the woman. Initially, he doesn't say anything to her, does he? I mean, I have that recorded. Jesus, oh, what's happening here? What have you done? doesn't say anything. doesn't acknowledge the woman's sin in that moment. But offers kindness. He says, where? Where are they? Where are your accusers? They're gone. And the kindness of Jesus, the kindness of God leads to repentance. Read Romans 2, 1-4. to it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So what does it look like, mean for us as God's people, trying to display His goodness, trying to just live out of His life, trying to be imitators of God? What does it look like for us? Well, I think it looks like us offering kindness over scolding. Like, do, do, we, agree, do we agree with the way that everybody lives their life? Do you have an opinion on everybody else's life? Maybe you don't, but I do. It's easy, isn't it? To look at other people and go, oh, they're not, I wouldn't do it that way. Or, that's not right. Now, I understand, like the, the scriptures reveal how, we are to, how we're to, designed to live how we're designed to live the fullness of life that God's intended us and purposed us to live is the, is the revelation of God's purpose for humanity in the world. It's the revelation of Jesus and all that he came to do. And do we get invited to step into his story and understand the outworking of his grace? Absolutely. It's bit by bit. Because you and I aren't perfect. You and I don't have it all together. And so I just think as God's people... What if kindness was the primary thing? What if we were just nice to one another? Not, and not just nice, nice, because like, actually sometimes there are things in, in community that, that we have to work through. It's not like utopia, is it? Because I've got a personality that some of you don't like. You've got a personality that winds people up. Like That's part and parcel of of who we are as God's people. And so what does it look like for us to operate the way that Jesus operates in this moment? 
when somebody comes in to be a part of our community or comes into our lives, moves into our street, that maybe lives a lifestyle that we just don't get. What do we do? How do we respond? I wonder whether we should respond a little bit like Jesus. With kindness. And who knows that over time, the, the more kindness we demonstrate, the more, uh, the more likeness of Christ we begin to, uh, to live out in front of others, begins to reveal something, reveal something of the kindness toward, of God towards, towards people. And His desire to see people changed and transformed and redeemed and renewed into the kind of people that he's designed them, I've designed them to be. I've got an opinion about a lot of things. I have a, an idea of how I think it would be best for people to live their lives. Doesn't mean I'm right. But I know the one who does. And so what would it look like for us to come alongside people in order to help them to become everything that God has purposed them to be? Number, number three, mercy over punishment. Verse 11a says this, no, um, no one, Lord, she answered. No one is here. Jesus offers mercy over punishment. It's incredible. Because in that moment, Jesus could have could have carried out the punishment. But he didn't. He says to her two things. And he, this is in grace and truth, actually, because it needs both. So often we can be good at telling the truth, but not so easy at matching up with grace. In Jesus, we see these two things operate perfectly. Grace and truth. So he offers mercy. Mercy being not getting what she deserved. It's true for you and I, actually. We don't get what we deserve in Jesus. So the fourth thing is this. Truth and grace in operation together. Go. Um, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you, Jesus says. Go and, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Grace and truth. Go and don't, don't sin. So what's Jesus saying to her? Because he's actually, in that moment, I think he's acknowledging the, the fact that she's been caught in adultery. She's an adulteress. She was doing something that was against God's design, against his ways, against what was, was good for her and good for, the, the, good for her fiancé and good for society because it just breaks stuff down. It, it's devastating. Anybody ever experienced that in life or family network? It's devastating. Absolutely devastating. So God says, puts these parameters in place for the way that we're to live our lives because actually he wants the best for us. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to be fully alive in him and present to others. He, that's his design. But this lady, she hadn't been living in that life. Can you imagine the shame that she must have felt? Not, be, not simply because of the crowd, but because of what she was doing. You can't do that kind of stuff for long without it eating up at you. Trying to hide and put stuff out the way so you don't get found out. So there's the public shame and there's the inner shame. And Jesus says to her, I'm not going to condemn you because you're already doing that yourself. 
But I am going to say to you, go and sin no more. Grace and truth. The two things in operation, the, being confronted with the reality of sin. Now, for you, for any of us who have been, who've put our faith and trust in Jesus, who, who've, been a, who've come to that place of acknowledgement that Jesus is who he said he is, that he gave his life so that we might be forgiven and set free from sin, that we might know eternal life by putting our trust and our hope in him, by walking with him, following him. For those of us who know that, we know grace and truth in operation. Because he could condemn us, but he doesn't. And he sets us free in order to live the life that he's purposed us to live. He's, he's, at, he's inviting in this moment this, this lady to experience transformation. Freedom from the things of the past. And so for us, what better witness to a world that is broken, to a world that isn't living in in. in in a flourishing environment, a way, the, the, the way that God has purposed and designed. What better way for us to bear witness to the one who is kind, infinitely kind, infinitely gracious, infinitely merciful, ultimately judge. What better way for us than to live a life that is shaped by truth and grace? Confronted with the reality of who we are, yes. Own our sin. Own our wrongdoing. Own the things that we're ashamed of. Known and unknown to anybody else. The things that haunt us, own it. Say, Jesus, come before him. And you'll hear the words, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he liberates us to live and walk into the freedom of life that he's purposed intended us to live not according to the desires of the flesh but according to the spirit have a read of galatians chapter 5 and just get a, a sense of what god has purposed us for and invited you into but i think this shapes our understanding about light and life I think this helps us to, to, to live the kind of life full of light in, a, in, a, in an environment, in, in a world in which we live. You'll think about your, your neighborhood, your work, your schools, wherever it is you place. You'll, you'll no doubt have people who think differently, act differently, believe differently, identify differently to you. What does it look like for us as God's people to step into those environments with the light of Christ at work in us and through us? I think this shapes how we deal with people who aren't like us. We can live in our own little bubble, our own little evangelical world that is often very small. I believe in the power of the gospel to save. But it was Jesus who saves. It's always Jesus who saves. And it's always Jesus who transforms. It's always Jesus who convicts of sin without causing condemnation. And it's always Jesus who sets people free. And so often I think we feel like we need to do the Holy Spirit's job for him. There are times in discipleship when we need to ask questions. There are times when we're walking with people where we need to have some awkward conversations. But there are, moment, there are moments that are driven by the activity of the Spirit, what he's already doing in people to 
transform and change them into the kind of people that he's called us to be. We need patience. We need kindness. We need love. And we need compassion. And we need truth. We need all of those things. But it's Jesus who changes. Not one person who has ever said anything to me has had, a, uh, has had any power to actually change my inner person. They might have spoken some truth that I needed to hear. But it was the Spirit of God at work in and through His presence that brings the, tran- the desired transformation. It's true for you too, isn't it? We have to take some responsibility. We have to act, absolutely. But it's in response to what God is doing in and through us. So may we be a a community, a people who live with uh, with grace over judgment, kindness over scolding, mercy over punishment, and truth and grace in operation. Why? Why? Because I think it reflects the one in whom we proclaim to love. I think it it reflects the Savior who so graciously um, gave his life for us. Didn't pronounce judgment over, condemnation over us. But set us free to live the kind of life that he's purposed us to live. Let me pray. And then we're going to communion. And I think Phil's going to lead us uh, in a moment. I wonder, um, I wonder who you are in the story. Are you, are you, are you like the religious leaders? Are you quick to judge? Cast your opinion? Point out other people's wrongdoings? Are you, are you like them? I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if, if that's you, then allow Jesus to touch your heart this morning and soften it. May you have a, a revelation of how much Jesus has done for you, how much he loves you, how much you don't stand condemned. May your heart soften towards others who are not like you. Are you, this morning, are you like like the woman? You you know the stuff. And you, maybe you're, as Alan said earlier, maybe you've been condemning yourself. Maybe you don't need anybody else to bring it out into the open. You, you You just feel condemned. Your own heart's Morning, I want you to hear those words, Jesus, as you come. His light and life just breaks into the darkness of your heart that has been so contained by the the condemnation that you felt. 
Allow these words of Jesus, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. But go and sin no more. May you know the freedom and the power of Christ that work in you in this moment. May you know his life and his light flooding your heart and mind. May you experience his grace and truth. May you step into the story that he has is, is purposed you to participate in. To be crafted by him. Healed by him. Liberated by him. Jesus, whichever person we identify with, the reality of it is that we all need to experience your grace and truth at work in our lives. We all need to experience the forgiveness and healing that is only available in you. We all have things that we would, would just curl up and die if we're exposed. And yet you graciously call us to walk with you, to know you, to be forgiven by you, to be healed by you, to be reformed by you into the people that you've purposed us to be. So would you help us to step into that this day? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.